Bibles to the book of Micah tonight. The book of Micah. And Micah chapter 2. Micah chapter number 2. And we'll begin reading in verse number 1, and we'll go down to verse number 5, Micah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. He says, Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and take them by violence and houses and take them away. So they oppress a man and his house, even a man and his heritage. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, against this family do I devise an evil, from which ye shall not remove your necks, neither shall ye go haughtily. For this time is evil. And that day shall one take up a parable against you, and lament with a doleful lamentation, and say, We be utterly spoiled. He hath changed the portion of my people. How hath he removed it from me? Turning away, he hath divided our fields. Therefore thou shalt have none that shall cast a cord by lot in the congregation of the Lord. Now, as we're going through the book of Micah here, of course, we understand God is speaking uh, primarily to, to Judah and um, throughout this passage here. Um, but he's also speaking to Israel as well um, in, a, in the first part of Micah, and then he speaks specifically towards uh, Judah. But as he begins in chapter 2, notice the very first word, woe. Right. Um, whenever you see that word throughout Scripture, usually what follows is not very good. It's not very good, right? When you think about the book of Revelation, there are the three woes of the book of Revelation. Not good things follow, right? Um, remember when Jesus is actually even speaking to the religious leaders, uh, he says that woe unto you, right? Um, he, when he speaks about Bethsaida and Chorazin, he says, Woe unto thee, Bethsaida and Chorazin, right? Um, and he says, If thou wouldest had the, the, what Sodom and Gomorrah had, right? They would, have, you would have, they would have repented if they had what you had, but you haven't repented. You, ha- you haven't repented after seeing the mighty works that God has done. And so God is pronouncing judgment. Jesus Christ is pronouncing judgment. So whenever, whenever you see the word woe... Um, not not good is coming, right? And this is what he says, woe to them. This To pronounce woe upon someone basically meant to pronounce judgment or basically you could say he is announcing their funeral. It's about what's happening here. He is announcing, he is saying, it's like you're dead men. This is, this is what's going to happen. And there's nothing that can stop it, right? Um, it's, it's used to signify a divine curse, right? This is, this is not just woe to them because they have upset somebody. No, no, this is, this is God. This is, the, this is now the judgment of God that is going to come upon them. And, and it really, it, it precludes any further opportunity for repentance, there, there, again, this is, this is it. You, you've, you've crossed the line. We talked about that in chapter 1. God says, you've crossed the line. And he says, woe to them. And he's, he's pronouncing this judgment upon them. And he's saying, look, this, this is it. There, this, is, this is why it's basically he's, he's announcing their funeral because he says there's, there's no more opportunity to repent. This has is, this is gone too far. And judgment is now coming, Right? Um, and so he's pronouncing judgment upon them. Um, again, we kind of looked at this uh, a little bit last week, how um, he talks back in verse number 9 of chapter 1, her wound is incurable, for it is coming to Judah. He is coming to the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. And so how Israel, God says to Israel, look, your, your wound is incurable because of, of, of your idolatry and all that you have done. Um, there's no more mercy judgment is going to come. And so he's continuing this. Um, uh, again, he's, we, we kind of looked at the end of chapter one, how he does that. Um, he does that word play with each of the different cities that he mentions there. Um, and then he says at the very end, make thee bald and pull thee for thy delicate children. Enlarge thy baldness as the eagle for uh, they are gone into captivity from thee. So he says, look, just as that 
um, the shaving of the head indicated great sorrow. Um, he says their, their children are going to be taken, right? We kind of talked a little bit about this, how uh, we think about even um, uh, Daniel uh, and Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael, they were taken uh, into captivity as children. Um, and then once they got there, they were going to be taught uh, those things of, of Babylon. But yet, of course, we know that those, those young men, they stayed true to the faith. They stayed true to God, right? And, and that's one of the things I'm, um, I, I'm so thankful for parents bringing their children, uh, bringing their young people to church, right? Um, to help them to continue to, to establish and be grounded in the faith. Now, again, it's not, it's not up to the church. It's not up to the classes that they're in. That's up to the parents to do that. But but the church is going to assist in that. We're going to encourage them. We're going to try to help them along the way. And the reason why is because, think about this, and, and again, we kind of looked at how we're, we're living almost in very similar circumstances and very similar times. I'm not saying that our children are going to go into captivity, but you think about what Daniel and the other ones had to go through. And, and can I say that it's coming very soon where our young people are going to have to be facing opposition the way they did. Um, you know, obviously adults, we can face opposition in the workplace and, and through different scenarios and things, but it's going to come to a point where it's going to come all the way down to the children. And, and even you can look at some of that and even the schools, it's happening in the schools and things today. Right. Um, and so he says, woe to them, this judgment that God is pronouncing upon Israel. And notice he says, woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. Notice he he uses three different words here. He uses the word devise to work and practice. They devise iniquity, they work evil, and then they practice it, right? They devise. This, this devise is the conception or the thinking of the wicked things to do. Think about what he says. They devise iniquity. This is, this is the whole thought process. Again, we talked about how there is a, uh, there's a battle for the mind of people today, right? Um, and, and, you know, everybody says, follow your heart, right? Uh, you know, especially in uh, romance and things like this, just follow your heart. That's the stupidest thing you could ever say. I'm sorry, but that's just the dumbest thing to say. Follow your heart, right? Uh, here's why. In Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse number 9, here's what God says about the heart, right? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Don't follow your heart. <laughs> he says it is deceitful. It is desperately wicked. He says, who can know it? You think you can know your heart? Wrong. You can't know your heart. He said, your heart is deceitful. Your heart is desperately wicked, right? Uh, I mean, just think about it. What, what happened? What do we find back in, in Genesis chapter 6, right? Why does God destroy the earth? In Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's exactly what we're seeing in Micah, right? He says here in, in, in Genesis chapter 6 that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And, and then in verse number 11 says, um, the earth also was corrupt before God. The earth was filled with violence. That, that's, that's exactly what we're seeing here in Micah. They devise iniquity. They're, they're constantly thinking of wickedness. What, what, what is the next wicked thing that we can do? Um, I don't remember. Some of you may have, may have been here a number of years ago when um, this whole, um, I don't know, maybe it's eight, nine, ten years ago, something like this, when this whole, uh, the LGBTQ and all this was really starting to be pushed. And I, I, I made a statement and I said, this is not the end. This is the beginning because they're not going to stop with just homosexuality, right? Guess what? They're going to come after pedophiles. They're going to come after their, ch the children, you understand that there are, there are people today in government 
that are working to try to say that an adult should be able to marry a child, a minor, if they really love each other. Well, they're just following their heart. No, they're not. They're wicked. They're wicked. It's not about love. It's wickedness, right? And, and it's not going to end there either. It's, it's going to go beyond that. Look, there, there's a reason why. There's a reason why God, even in the, in the commandments, when you go all the way back to, to, the, to the law and things, God says, look, don't, don't lie with man with man, woman with woman. He says, don't lie with animals either. That's called bestiality. Well, that would never happen. Then why did God put it in there? Why did God put it in there? You know why? Because our thoughts and our hearts are wicked. And this is what he's saying here. He says, woe to them that devise iniquity. They're constantly thinking of evil, wicked things to do. Then notice what he says. And work evil upon their beds, right? What is this? This working of evil upon their beds is now they're, they're constantly thinking about how to, to implement the wickedness that they're thinking about. It's not just a thought now. It's not just a thought now. It's how can we actually implement this? Again, you think about some of the laws that, we're, that, are, that we have and that are coming and things like this. It wasn't just one day somebody woke up and said, oh, we ought to be able to do this. No. Somebody started thinking these things and the wickedness of them and then said, okay, now how can we implement these things? How can we start fabricating them? How can we start getting them out there? And how can we start pushing them forward? The fabricating of how this evil will now be done. Constantly thinking about it. Even laying awake at night, how can we implement it? What are we going to do? And then notice, and then when the morning is light, what does it say? They practice it. They practice it. There's the devising of iniquity, the working of it upon their beds, and then the practicing of it. This is the execution of that evil. What they've been thinking about, how they've planned it, now, okay, hey, let's, let's do it. The working of it, now they're, they're implementing it, now they're, they're doing it. In James chapter 1, verse, verse number 14 and 15, it says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. You see, what is lust? Lust is the thought process of it. Lust is the thinking of it. Lust is the, the thinking of it and then devising it, uh, the, then, then trying to figure out, okay, now how can I do it? But the sin is now the action. Oh, it's been sin as it was being thought of and how it was being fabricated and how can we implement it? But now he says, now it bringeth forth sin. Now the, the action is now taking place. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. It brings death. What does God say here? Woe. Woe to them that have devised iniquity, that have worked evil upon their beds. And when the morning is light, they practice it. They practice it. And notice what he says here. Why? Because it is in the power of their hand. It's in the power of their hand. What does he mean? When he says it's in the power of their hand. What does that mean? For it is in the power of their hand. He's just said what they're going to do. They devise iniquity. They work evil. The, they are going to practice it because it is in the power of their hand. What does that mean? It means that they are the ones in control. It means they're the ones that have the authority. It means they're the ones that have the power to be able to do these things. They have the money. They have the position. They have the authority to do these things. Do you, under, do you understand why it's important that those who are in power and who are in authority and in government are the right people? The right ones? 
because those that are in power and authority who hate God and care nothing about God, what's happening? It is in their power to do these things. Look, there's, there's no way that any of us sitting here tonight that would have thought 30 or 40 years ago that we would have some of the laws in our country that we have today. We would never have thought that. How did we get here? It wasn't just one day, all of a sudden it just changed. No. What's been happening? Those who are wicked have been thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And then how can we implement it? And let's do it this way. And let's try here. And let's do it this way. And let's try it here. And if we fail here, we're going to go over here and do it. If we don't succeed there, we're going to come back over here until finally now it is being done. And Christians just sit back and watch. We don't do anything about it. Well, it's not in our power to do anything. We're not the ones in power. We're not the ones in authority. That's why it's so important who is in power. That's why it's important who is in the authority there. He says, because it is in the power of their hand. They're the ones in control. They're the ones with money. They're the ones with the authority. They have corrupted the judicial system in their favor by bribing judges and those in authority or even being those in authority. That's what he said. It's in their power. Again, we, we, went, through the, we went through the book of Amos and we saw how, uh, how Israel, even those in authority, they, they hated those that spoke righteousness. And when it talks about those that they would, they would be in the gate, right? The gate was the, the place where the gate of the city wasn't just a gate that people walk through, but the gate of the city was an area where, where business dealings and, and those in authority would meet and they would, they would discuss things there. And it says that when those that, that wanted to do right came to the gate, they would push them away. They didn't want to hear anything about the right. They didn't want to hear anything about righteousness, That's what he's saying here. It's in the power of their hand. They were the ones in the authority. And watch what he says. He continues here. This is what they did, right? They coveted fields and take them by violence and houses and take them away. So they oppress a man and his house, even a man and his heritage. Think about this. If if they wanted something... They took it, even if it meant by violence. That's what he says, right? They covet fields and take them by violence. Those in authority, hey, you want something? Somebody doesn't want to give it to you? We'll just take it anyway. It's interesting. Hold your place here. Go to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings. Look in chapter 21. And it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel hard by the palace of, king, uh, of Ahab, king of Syria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house. And I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it. And Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came into his house heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and had a pity party. Oh, I'm sorry, that's not in there. Um, it says, And turned his face uh, away his face and would not eat bread. Sounds like a pity party, right? Um, and what happens? I think most of us know the story here. Jezebel comes in. She says, Hey, what's wrong? He says, Naboth won't give me his vineyard. So what does she say? Kill him. Kill him. What's she do? They, they do it. They, they kill him. They kill Naboth. Wait, here's, here's the ones. It's, it's in their power. They don't care about anybody else. They're just going to kill him. doesn't matter what anybody else says. doesn't matter what's right or wrong. They want it. They're going to take it. This is what he's saying. Right? This is what he's saying. Again, go, go back to Micah with me here, right? They covet fields. Isn't that what Ahab coveted? Naboth's vineyard, his field. 
and take them by violence. Now, I don't, I don't know if Micah's thinking about that, that parallel there. I, but that set a precedent. Hey, if Ahab can do it, why can't we? And those that had the power to do it, did it. Doesn't matter whether it was right or wrong. They said, we're just going to take it. And houses... And take them away. Hey, somebody's, man, somebody's got a nicer, man, that guy, he built a really nice house. You know what I think? I'll, I think I want that. I'm just going to take it. You didn't build it. No. You didn't pay for it. No. Just going to take it. This is what they're doing. They're, they're taking things, what they want, whatever it is, they're just going to take. And notice, so they oppress a man and his house. They were bringing oppression upon their own people. Simply because of their lust. They wanted someone's field, take it by force. They wanted someone's house, take it. Have the judge come up with some law or tax or whatever way to get what they wanted. Threaten them, whatever it takes, to get what they wanted. Look, look, go back with me to the book of Hosea. Just a couple pages back. Hosea chapter 12. Think about what he says here. Again, this is, again, typical. He is a merchant. The balances of deceit are in his hand. He loveth to oppress. We're going we're gonna to take it from him no matter what. Even if we have to cheat it out of him, we have to steal it from him, we have to kill him. It doesn't matter what we do. We're going to get what we want. Because it says they love to oppress. They wanted to be the ones in power. They wanted to be the ones with everything. They brought oppression to their own people. But I want you to notice what it says here at the end of verse number two. It says they oppress a man in his house, even a man and his, what's that last word there? Heritage. Now that's an interesting thing to, for Micah to say. I mean, it's one thing to oppress a man in his house. It's one thing to, to take something, to take a field by, by violence or to take a house. But how can you take someone's heritage? How do you take someone's heritage? And it's really interesting why Micah puts this in here. Even a man and his heritage. Did you, did you notice what... Naboth said, back in 1 Kings chapter 21, he said, I will not give it thee, the inheritance of my fathers. Naboth said, this wasn't just a piece of ground. This was the inheritance of my fathers. What does that mean? What does he mean here when he's talking about the inheritance of his fathers? Well, again, when you go back and you'll study, you'll find that the law of Moses, when, when, when Israel came into the promised land, what did they do after they conquered the land? Joshua divided up all the land to the 12 different tribes of Israel. They divided up the land. And in the law of Moses, it required that the land should stay with the family and the tribe that it had been divided up to. Whatever tribe had been given this land, that was always to be the land for that tribe. That was their inheritance. And whatever land in that tribe that was given to an individual, that was always to be that family's. It was their inheritance. That was their inheritance. But here's the thing that we have to understand. The land did not actually belong to Israel. Who did the land belong to? Why don't you go to the book of Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. Notice what he says in verse number two. 
Speak unto the children of Israel and say to them, When ye come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Right? We're not going to have time to read all this, but jump down to verse number 23. The land shall not be sold forever. Can't sell the land forever. And watch what the next phrase says. For the land is mine. Who's speaking? God is. You see, the land did not belong to Israel. The land belonged to God. God says it's mine. And it was basically a lease. God says, I am leasing you this land. It belongs to me, but I'm going to let you use it. But here's the thing. When I let you use it, I set the conditions. It's mine. So I get to set the conditions on what you're able to do with what is mine. Notice in verse number 38, he says, I am the Lord, your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. He said, look, I'm the one that brought you out. I'm the one that's bringing you into this land. I'm the one that fought for you. The land belongs to me. You're just leasing it. You're just leasing it. And so because of that, you have to be obedient to what I want you to do with the land. The Lord was the one who owned it. He was leasing it to them, and he had rules that they had to obey. Again, think with me what we just read back in verse number 23. The land shall not be sold forever. He says you're not supposed to sell it. And you're definitely not supposed to sell it from one tribe to another tribe. Not supposed to do that, right? And then, but watch what he says here. Um, that in this, uh, if you say the rules of the land or whatever you want to call it, if someone had to sell their property, it was only until the year of Jubilee. So every 50 years, they would have what was called the year of Jubilee. And at the year of Jubilee, all the land reverted back to the original owners. Go back, go, you're still in Leviticus 25. Look in verse number 13, right? In verse number 13, In the year of this jubilee, ye shall return every man unto his possession. And if they'll sell aught unto thy neighbor or boughtest aught of thy neighbor's hand, he shall not oppress one another according to the number of years after the jubilee. Thou shalt buy of thy neighbor and according unto the number of years of the fruits he shall sell unto thee. According to the multitude of years thou shalt increase the price thereof and according to the fewness of the years thou shalt diminish the price of it. For according to the number of the years of the fruits doth he sell unto thee, ye shall not therefore oppress one another... That was one of the requirements. What did it say? They love to oppress. But thou shalt fear thy God, for I am the Lord your God. So God says, look, all right, here's the deal. You, you have, yes, there's going to be times when things might get hard and you might have to sell it. But here's the thing. I am leasing this to you. And so if you have to sell it, in essence, guess what they were doing? They were leasing it to somebody else knowing that at the 50th year, the year of Jubilee, they would get it back. It would come back to them. It'd come back to their ownership, right? So let's just say somebody after 20 years, they said, you know what? I'm really struggling here. I'm going to have to sell some of my land. All right, I'm going to find somebody that's going to sell my land, but I know that they can only have this land for 30 years because in 30 years is the year of Jubilee, So I know that I'll get it back in 30 years. Guess what Israel said? We're not giving it back. We're going to take it and we're going to keep it. We're not going to give it back. We're not going to obey what God says. We're not going to be concerned at all about the year of Jubilee. We're definitely not going to be concerned about the Sabbath. We read that in verse number two. God says every seventh year was to be a Sabbath. You work for six years, let the land rest the seventh. They said, no, we're not going to do that either. They totally went against every rule that God had given them for the land. (laughs) Okay, so this is, some of you know, some of you know, know me about this. (laughs) I believe, let's see if I can find it here real quick. Uh, Is it in 2 Chronicles? Um, Yeah. So, I know, right? And please, don't. If somebody comes in here and uses this verse to preach, don't be like, ah, false doctrine, false doctrine. 
Don't do that. Right? Don't do that. But I've heard so many people use this verse in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14, as a passage about revival. Right? In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin, will hear their land. Oh, if you will just repent of your sin and turn to God, then God says he'll hear you and he'll forgive you and he'll heal your land. Okay. What does that have to do with you and me? Nothing. It has nothing to do with us. Do you know why? God hasn't given us any laws for our land. There's no laws for our land. God didn't tell us that you can only sell a piece of land for 50 years and then at the 50th year you get it back. That wasn't for us. Guess who that was for? Israel, the Jews. And this is why he says, and why did God curse the land? Because they weren't obeying the laws of the land. They were oppressing. They were taking whatever they wanted. They weren't obeying the year of Jubilee. And this is why he says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, the wickedness of the laws of the land, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Look, now, Again, the first part, I got nothing against the first part. Is it important that people turn from their wickedness? Yes. Is it important that we pray and see God's face? Yes. And if we do that, will God hear us and will God forgive? Yes. No doubt about that. All of those things are absolutely true. The problem is that verse does not apply to us. It doesn't apply to us. We're not Jews. We're not Israel. Now, all those things that I just said do apply to us. Yes, we can turn to God and we can ask God to forgive us and God can forgive us. But that's not what this verse is talking about. It was the land. And this is what he's saying. They have broken the laws of the land, not the laws of the country of the land, but the land itself. They would not let it rest the seventh year. They would not observe the year of Jubilee. They would not uh, uh, give back. And they were taking it from people, forcing them to sell when, when they really didn't need to or didn't want to and charging absorbent amounts of money or, or not giving a fair price. They were oppressing the people. And this is what he says. that They were basically the the what they were doing would help simply the rich get richer and those in authority stay in power. But the way that God had put the laws with the seven year resting of the Sabbath and with the 50 year Jubilee, it would help the rich from getting richer because guess what? After a couple of years, it's going to go back to the previous owner. It's not going to be yours anymore. It goes back to the original owner. You couldn't buy up all the land and have a monopoly on the land. Why? Because it's going to go back to the original owner. Now, you might have it for a few years. You might be able to rent it for a few years or buy it for a few years. But guess what? At the year of Jubilee, it goes back to the original owner. God did this to make sure that his people, not just the wealthy and the rich and those in power, but his people, all of them, would be able to live. But those that were in power said, we don't want to follow what God says. We're just going to do what we want to do. The rich decided they wouldn't follow the law of God that he gave through Moses. They just kept buying land and taking it when someone wouldn't sell. They would enslave the poor, pay them very little for the work that they were doing. Yet they themselves kept getting richer. This describes what we would call materialism. This is materialism. It is being obsessed with having more and more and more and never being content with what you have. Whether it's money, whether it's possessions, whatever it might be. Somehow thinking, though, that more money and more possessions and all these different things are somehow going to bring ultimate satisfaction. But it never does. This sin is committed because of covetousness. I want what they have. 
and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it. By the way, if you go back to Exodus chapter 20, you'll find this was one of God's laws. In Exodus chapter 20, in verse number 17, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. That's one of God's laws. He said, don't covet. Why? Because God knows that covetous leads to materialism. When we're not satisfied and it leads to greed and we always want more, we're never content. We've got to have more and we've got to have more and we've got to have more, thinking that somehow that's going to bring satisfaction. And when it doesn't, what do we think? Well, it must just mean a little bit more will bring that satisfaction. And when it doesn't, what do we think it means? Well, it must be a little bit more that brings that satisfaction. And it doesn't. You look at, you look at people that we would consider are wealthy. Millionaires, billionaires, whatever you want to call them. Are they really content? They're not content. They're always after more. They're always after more. Now, please, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying it's wrong to be able to get more. That's not what I'm saying, right? I'm not saying it's wrong to be rich. Okay? If you're here and you're rich tonight, praise the Lord. Okay? Not a problem with that. Okay? It's not not about being rich. It's about never being satisfied and always wanting more, and seeking more, and desiring more, and doing whatever it takes to get it. That's what they were doing. They were willing to kill. They were willing to oppress. They were willing to do anything they could just to get what they wanted. That does not honor the Lord. But may I say that even today, there are forms of that being done without us really even thinking about it? Parents rob their children. Oh, not of money, per se. But parents rob their children of time, companionship, relationship, working all hours trying to make money to buy more stuff, thinking that that's what's going to bring happiness to the family. We're never content. We've always got to have more. And we're willing to sacrifice our own children at the cost of getting more. Again, I'm not against having fun. I'm not against enjoying life. I'm not against things. But when we're willing to sacrifice the most precious things that God has given to us, that's why this whole child dedication thing, it's not about, okay, God, here's the kids. It's up to you now. (laughs) No, that's not it. No, it's recognizing that God has blessed me with these children and God has given me a responsibility to raise and nurture and to train these children to follow the Lord and to love God and to serve Him. That's what this is about. And yet we get so consumed with materialism. Well, my kids have got to have the best this, and they've got to have the best that, so I've got to get another job. And and, and everybody else has to work. And, And we're so consumed with things that we rob our own children of our time, companionship. We're never there for them. There's no relationship. Dad, mom, not really. It's just more like caregiver. Because we're so consumed with always trying to get a little bit more. Christians rob God. Malachi talks about it. Wherewith, have, wherewithal have we robbed thee? He says, in tithes and in offerings. Well, I've, I've got to have that to be able to, to get more. And, and I, I need more to enjoy life. And so I'm not going to honor God. I'm not going to give him the tithe. I'm not going to give him the offerings. And so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep it for myself. That's robbing God. Thinking that somehow by having a little bit more, that that's what's going to bring satisfaction. When God says, wait a minute, if you'll just honor me, I'll open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that you won't, be, you won't have room enough to receive it. But we just don't want to believe God. We just don't want to trust God. And that's exactly what the children of Israel were doing. They were covetous. They covet fields. They take them by violence and houses and take them away. So they oppress a man in his house, even a man in his heritage. Now watch verse number three. Therefore, God says, okay, 
This is what you're doing. Therefore, thus saith the Lord. Behold, against this family do I devise an evil, from which ye shall not remove your necks, neither shall ye go haughtily, for this time is evil. Here's what Israel and most people forget about. And yes, even Christians. We reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. We are all accountable to God. And God said that, and this is really interesting. Did you notice, again, the wordplay in verse number one? Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil. What did he say in verse number three? What does God say? I devise an evil. You think, you think you've got, you, you think you're the one that's got this all figured out? Because of your evil, God says, I'm going to allow judgment to come upon you. You're devising evil, so God says, I'll devise an evil. God says, I'm going to bring judgment upon you because, and again, notice that word in verse number three, the very first word, therefore. It was because of what they had done that God says, I'm allowing this evil to come upon you. Because of how you have been covetous and because of how you have oppressed and all of these different things, this is why this evil is going to come upon you. They had devised or planned evil upon those around them, and now God says that he is the one that is going to bring this evil upon them. They thought because they were God's children that he wouldn't do anything. We're we're God's chosen people. Notice but what God says. Against this family. This family. He says, I know exactly who you are. I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one that called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. He says, I know exactly who you are. And don't ever think that just because, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a child of God. God will just overlook all the things that I'm doing. I mean, after all, my sins are forgiven. He says, I know who you are. You're my family. And what does he say? He says, against this family do I devise an evil. He said, just because you're mine, just because you belong to me, doesn't mean I'm not going to judge you. Doesn't mean I'm not going to bring this judgment upon you. He knew exactly who they were. And he says that this evil is devised against them. And he says, you will not remove it from your necks. It would be inescapable. They would not be able to escape this judgment. We saw that back in verse number nine of chapter one, that wound is incurable. He says, it is inescapable, nor will you be lifted up in pride. Think about what he says at the end. Neither shall you go haughtily. Oh, look at who we are. Look at what we can do. Now God says, you're going to be humbled. You're going to snub your nose and... God's face? You're going to think you're better than everybody else? God says, uh, not anymore. You're not going to go haughtily anymore. Why? For this time is evil. He says in Amos 5.13, Therefore the prudent shall keep silence in that time, for it is an evil time. God is going to bring judgment upon them. Everything that they had lived for, and sinned against God to get would be taken away by the enemy. It would all be taken away. Many would be taken captive and die away from the land they coveted and had stolen from innocent people. He says, in that day, verse number four, shall one take up a parable against you and lament with a doleful lamentation and say, we be utterly spoiled. He hath changed the portion of my people. How hath he removed it from me? Turning away, he hath divided our fields. You you know what? You know what verse four is? Verse four is them complaining to God. They're complaining to God about God's judgment upon them for their sin. God, what, what are you doing to us? How dare you do this to us? We be utterly spoiled. He, God, hath changed the portion of my people. How hath he removed it from me? Turning away, he hath divided our fields. God, what are you doing? Can, can you imagine the goal of the children of Israel to actually say, God, you're doing us wrong. You're doing us wrong by this. 
That's what they were saying. How dare you, God? How dare you do this to us? But why? They were complaining. God had changed the portion of the people. He had removed them, the land from them. He is going to give the land and the fields to others who were the enemies of God. He said, God, why, why would you do this? Again, notice verse number five. Therefore, thou shalt have none that shall cast a cord by lot in the congregation of the Lord. God says, you will have no possession. I brought you into this land, and I divided the land, and I gave you possession. I gave you inheritance. I gave this land to you. But he said, I'm going to take you out of this land, and you will have none of it. You would not obey what I said, and so therefore I will just take you out. I'm just going to take you out of it. Take them out of the land. Give it to others. Give it to the enemies of Israel. Now it would be divided out to their enemies. And they would complain that God had changed. God, you've changed. No, no, no. God didn't change. God told them exactly what he was going to do. God didn't change. He said, these are the laws of the land. This is what I expect you to do. You're leasing this land from me. It belongs to me. I have the right to tell you how to use it. They said, we don't care about you, God. It wasn't God that changed. Isn't it amazing how we always want to blame God? We want to blame God. When things don't go wrong, it's God's fault. (laughs) Look, I'm just as guilty as anybody else, right? You know, when things just go wrong, God, what are you doing? God, why would you do this? God, don't you care? God, why have you changed? You know, I'm glad God doesn't change. He never changes. God says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What changed? I did. You did. They did. We're the ones that change. They were blaming God for changing, but it wasn't God that had changed. They were receiving what they deserve to receive because of their covetousness and violence, and therefore they had forfeited the blessings of God. You want to know how to forfeit the blessings of God? Disobey. You want to forfeit the blessings of God? God says, look, you are my people, and I want to bless you. But I can't bless you when you're not doing what I've asked you to do. I can't bless you when you're oppressing other people. I can't bless you when you're taking from other people. I can't bless you when you, you're, just, you're just covetousness. You're just covetous. Why, why would I bless covetousness? I'm not going to bless that. In fact, God says I'm going to judge it. You look at our country today. You look at our churches today. You look at our homes today. Are we forfeiting God's blessings? There's no doubt you can look at our country, and I, I, it's very easy to see we're forfeiting the blessings of God because we're saying we don't care what God says. And those that are in authority, well, we're just going to let them do what they want to do. I mean, you know, we're just going to stand back. We talked about that earlier in Micah chapter 1. We're just going to, well, Jesus is coming back, so let's just hold on until he comes. Let's just hope that it all blows away, just blows over, and then it'll all go back to normal. No, no, that's not what he wants. He wants us to intervene. He wants us to intervene. Our churches, losing the blessings of God. Just talking to Miss Marilyn tonight. So many churches without pastors, so many churches dying. Why? Has God changed? (laughs) No. God hasn't changed. We have. Christians, are we forfeiting the blessings of God? God says, I want to bless. But are you willing to obey? Because if we're not willing to obey, God says, I'm not going to bless. And in fact, Not only will he not bless, he will actually bring judgment. And so many Christians, those that are God's children, saved, 
put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ are forfeiting God's blessings in their lives because we are more concerned about materialism, we're more concerned about me, we're more concerned about what I want instead of what God wants. We forfeited God's blessings. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to learn from your word. Lord, the children of Israel, they forfeited your blessings because they would not obey. Lord, our country is forfeiting the blessings of God, and we're moving in the opposite direction, just as Israel had done. Our churches forfeiting the blessings of God, not concerned about what God desires. Christian homes forfeiting God's blessings because we're so consumed with materialism and the things of this world, thinking somehow that that's where the satisfaction and the happiness and joy is. And yet, Lord, we know it can only be found in following you. So, Father, I pray you'd help us tonight to do a heart examination. Lord, may we not follow our hearts, but, Lord, may we follow you. Lord, trust you. Lord, we know you haven't changed. Lord, help us not to forfeit your blessings on our lives. Lord, help us as a church not to forfeit your blessings. May we be obedient to you and follow you in every aspect. I wonder with our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment, the piano's just going to play softly. Just sitting where you're at, maybe tonight, you need to examine your heart. Have you, have you forfeited God's blessings? Because you've chosen to live life the way you want to live it instead of being obedient to God. so consumed with materialism and covetousness that even we're sacrificing our own children not spending the time with them and helping them to, to go, know and grow in the Lord Jesus Christ pray and say, God, help us not to forfeit your blessings. Help us to be faithful to your word in our families, in our homes, in our church. May we as Christians take a stand for truth and right in the Lord Jesus Christ. you. Before I have uh, Brother Joel come, and uh, we have a family tonight, I'm going to ask